welcome to the No Spin Dash Zone. Today I'm joined with Isaiah. Hello. And Charlie. Hi. My name is Steven. <laughs> and we're going to tell you all about Sonic Chronicles. The Is it The Dark Brotherhood? Yeah, Sonic Chronicles of the Dark Brotherhood. And then it's, oh, I thought it was and the Dark Brotherhood. It was it's it's Sonic Chronicles colon the Dark Brotherhood. I'm pretty sure. That's what I, th- I thought. There was a colon. I feel like it was titled in a way that left it open for another Sonic Chronicles game. Well, slight spoilers. According to my friend, the ending certainly made it seem that way. Hmm. I so, wonder yeah. why they never made a sequel. Speaking of the ending, so. <laughs> I just want to say, this is a very weird game to exist. Yeah. Because first of all, it's a Sonic RPG. Yes. Two, it's made by Bioware. Yes. And it's like the only Bioware game on a handheld costume, co- handheld co- handheld console. <laughs> there we a go. A Nintendo console, because I don't even think they've ported any of their they've, games onto like the Wii U or whatever. I actually think there's no Bioware game on a Nintendo console except for this one. And as a result, this is the only Bioware game I have ever played. <laughs> it's, it just, it's weird. And I guess it was destined to fail because of that, but. Allow you know. me to say this is not representative of Bioware games. Yeah, I was going to say, Isaiah, I think you're the only one who's played, what, Mass Effect? And have you played Dragon Age? Uh, no, I've only played Mass Effect. Well, see, those are like Western RPGs. They, this is like actual turn-based combat, like a yeah. regular Japanese RPG. And it was made by Bioware. There is Bioware stuff in there, but, like, this is a JRPG made by a WRPG, like, studio. The most Bioware thing, from what I can tell, is just that there are dialogue trees that sort of funnel back into the yeah the main focus, I guess, is the best way like, to put it. Like, really, really fleshed out, if short, dialogue trees. Yeah, they're really well done. It's like either Bioware really wanted to do a RPG on the DS and didn't and didn't want to like make up an IP or Sega really wanted an RPG on their console but they could not find a studio except Bioware to do it. I think it's probably the the second one. Or hear me out. This is actually a game from a different universe where Bioware always made Sonic games. Honestly, like I could totally see that. It's a glitch in the matrix. <laughs> This is, I, I think this is from the universe where Bioware also made Sonic Battle. Yeah, I was going to say, this is from the universe where Sonic Battle was the first Sonic game. <laughs> <laughs> and the Archie comics came before the video games. Yeah, it's it's a it's an adaption of a comic book series starring a blue fast hedgehog. <laughs> so, can I say real quick, this is... Easily the worst looking and sounding DS game I've ever played. Yeah. I, I don't think it looks horrible. It definitely sounds horrible, but looks horrible, it seems pretty standard for a D- DS game for how much things have to be on screen. I think that it looks about standard for a third party DS game. I think Nintendo's yeah. DS games look a lot better, like New Super Mario Bros. and the Super Mario 64 DS, or however that game is supposed to be pronounced. Yeah, this is my bros. No. It, it does that thing, and you might have to punish me again for lambasting Final Fantasy VII again. How there are just these 3D models on a 2D map, basically. But obviously, the textures they have on Final Fantasy VII are much better. These are very cartoony-looking textures, especially for something that you a location and a character for that matter that you recognize from Shadow the Hedgehog, the game. 
being Central City and the gun commander, and then seeing in this cartoony style, I'm like, wow, what the heck? Yeah, he looks really weird, and I was not sure if he was supposed to be the dude with, like, dichromia or whatever. Bichromia? Well, he just, he just has, like, little, like, black eyes, right? Yeah, so he's not that dude, right? It, it could be. Like, I... As a kid, when I played this, I appreciated the continuity. I think it would be super awkward if the dude who was like, we have to murder the black aliens, was then also being like, Sonic, we're, here. we're trying to look for Knuckles, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, I think it's I think it's probably not him, because I don't well, think it's they weren't it, really like, trying gets. to look for Knuckles, they were just trying to defend the city from the Marauders, as they are called. They were being quite helpful when Sonic was like, we need to find Knuckles. That's fine, I guess that's true. As opposed to saying, we need to eliminate the aliens. <laughs> We need to exterminate the black aliens. Yeah, and then specifically trying to go after one of Sonic's friends in as many air quotes as possible. Yeah. Like, everybody was hanging out with Shadow for that game, and the gun commander was sending all the police after them. I think as long as the gun commander from Shadow the Hedgehog is in charge, like, Shadow is not involved in anything that's going on. Although, actually, you know what? Because in this game, in uh, Sonic 06, Shadow is working for Gun. Yes. But that's yeah. that's not the case here, I'm pretty sure. This feels like the can. This feels like it is canon to Sonic Battle. Yeah, for sure. And the Archie comics. <laughs> it's really, it's really Isaiah, weird. Isaiah, there's no Emerald because he died. <laughs> that's true, he did die. It would be less canon if he was alive, in fact. <laughs> You got me there. Also, spoilers for Sonic Battle. <laughs> we talk In case you haven't been like watching our podcast on a regular basis. <laughs> oh man. We go in order on these Sonic games. So I th- I think we have to talk about that one song that's like plays in the city. Well, there's some things about the presentation that I want to mention first. Oh, please, please. So we've talked about how the gameplay itself, it doesn't look terrible. The 3D models are all right. They're pretty crunchy, but that's normal for the DS. It never had an amazing 3D rendering system. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're going to look weird if you look at them up close. Yeah. But I would also like to say that some of the cutscenes in this game are not just done as dialogue trees where you see faces, like, virtual novel style. Virtual? Visual novel style. <laughs> Virtual novels on a Kindle. Well, I think a visual novel could also be qualified as a virtual novel. That's fair. Anyway, some of the cutscenes are just sort of these action sequences that have comic book panels slide onto screen, and sometimes there's a light animation loop on them. So, for example, at the beginning of the game, you see just a gun plane, like, fly towards Eggman's ship. But it's like, you see a panel of the plane slide in, and then the panel of the ship. And then you just hear, like, pew, 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 pew. Like, just, like a guy making, like, bang-bang gun noises. The sound effects are so weirdly cartoony. Yeah. And then, later on in the sequence, you see Sonic running, and they just drew, like, his feet in a circle, and then drew a slightly different circle, and then loop it back and forth, and add a little bit of a motion blur, and they drag Sonic across the screen in that really weird, like, Flash animated style. That makes it super clear that the background and the foreground are just two completely separate concepts. <laughs> it's it's wild. It and I think it would be fine if Sonic had never been 2D animated before in a game, but we have like the Sonic CD intro. Yeah. So this I like that's the only thing I can compare this to, and it definitely does not hold up. Well, it's it's yeah. like it's weird because the game has a lot of like just dialogue, and then the camera will move and like focus on something and stuff like that. Yeah, and that's fine. That's fairly, I don't want to say cheap to produce, but it's probably one of the cheapest 
ways to produce storytelling in video games. And like, going slightly higher budget and making flash animations that are like, not good at all, is like, worse. Yeah, it only hurt it for me. I would have rather just the game been a lot of dialogue. I, this is the one of the first times that I've enjoyed just reading dialogue in a Sonic game. Yeah. Like, Sonic Battle is pretty much the only previous thing, and Sonic Battle had no cutscenes, really. It was just all dialogue, and I think it worked well. Yeah. Yeah, I think this game probably... Well, because especially, like, a lot of the animations are, are fairly unnecessary. Yeah, like the ones explaining story stuff. Yeah. I think the opening cutscene is important, but after that, it's kind of... Yeah. Iffy. What do you guys think of the the overworld gameplay? It's fine. Like, so... The basic gameplay of the overworld is just kind of moving around and navigating those, like, 2D pictures that I mentioned earlier. And often there'll be, like, something... Like, there might be some 3D elements, like a gas or spikes or boxes. And basically, you need particular characters to go through these types. Like, there's a speed-type character. Like, it'll be, like, some kind of loop-de-loop or a runway that you'll need a character like Sonic for. And in the case of, like, maybe spikes or gas or electricity, you want, like, a big tough character like Big the Cat or E-123 Omega. Or there'll be a cliff that you'll need to fly up or climb up or fly a big gap. Sometimes you just have to do a simple jump. And I think there's, like, one other type that I'm... Oh, like, boxes you want to hit with, like, some powerful thing like Amy's hammer or Knuckles' fists. And I should mention that all of this, and I mean all of this, is done with a touchscreen. Like, there is almost no use of the buttons or control, control pad, because it's a regular DS, at all. I will say that you can hit the L button to click the icon. Like, if, you, if an icon shows up to do an action, you can hit L and it will do it, but there's no reason to do that. Yeah, because it's the only thing that uses the button. You have to drag the character across the map to... Can I ask, can you also hit the R button for the same purpose? <laughs> Honestly, I highly doubt it. Uh, speaking as a left-handed person, uh, this is discrimination. But it doesn't matter. Like, I would prefer to just get used to the touch screen yeah like it doesn't matter at all but i'm i'm still mad about it yeah i i do think like it feels weird that the buttons just don't do anything ever and like the game just doesn't even acknowledge that you're hitting buttons especially like you boot up the game and the the like pre-title screen video plays right and i'm like well i'm gonna do what i do for every video game and i'm gonna hit the button to skip this because i've already seen it and the game goes, no, no, no. <laughs> you have to tap the screen. Well, it doesn't tell you that, though. Yeah, it doesn't tell you that. I actually assumed it was, for some reason, unskippable, despite being, like, two minutes or something like that. So, like, every time you boot up the game, you just have to sit through that. Uh, and fortunately, ah. that is not the case. But this game is exactly the kind of quality where that is believable. It's like Bioware took the fact that this is a DS game and took it to its absolute extreme by yeah. making everything navigatable through the touchscreen, including the pause menu. Like, there's a little corner that you have to click on to open the pause menu, and they have to click on the little options in the pause menu. And they're all icons, too, Yeah, which is interesting. It's really weird because outside specifically QTEs and POW moves, like, you could just... This game could be just, like, D-pad and A button, and, like, that would be fine. Yeah... I think that I personally, after I got acclimated to it, enjoyed the fact that they demanded that you use the stylus the whole time. Because 
for one, all of the QTEs require it. So if you're not used yeah. to it, it's going to feel weird pulling it out for combat. Yeah, I, I do agree with that. It's The consistency is good. I also did find the menu to be slightly more navigable because everything was touchable. It made it feel like a cool... I guess, point-and-click adventure. There's not as much item gathering, but switching for powers and stuff like that feels like using context-sensitive things you've gotten throughout the story to okay. progress. And then also the dialogue options. I, I don't know if they like super benefited from it, but it felt really interactive and tangible in a way that I don't necessarily think hitting up and down might have. So I, I do think the touchscreen during dialogue helps discourage uh, just like clicking through the dialogue as quickly as possible. I think the game is, is designed in a way to let you do that, like if that's what you really want to do. Well, yeah. It specifically adds that thing where if you see Sonic's head at the top, you can hit that and it will skip all the way through optional dialogue and I thought that was really cool of them. Yeah, I, I really like that it's just like, hey, if you don't care, like you don't have to put up with this, but if you do care, you get to put up with this. But I also think just sort of the way the control scheme is designed sort of encourages you to, like, look at your options. It feels more like you're exploring rather than just hitting up and down. Yeah, yeah. I also think that the fact that they told you that Sonic being hasty is the top button, that, like, <laughs> makes me want to explore things more. Just yeah. Just because they're, they're telling me that that's what that is. I, I think it's, it's really well uh, handled. Because you, you, the player gets told this fairly quickly that, like, hey, the top answer will just, like, get to the next scene because Sonic is impatient, and so, of course, that'll be the top one. There are also question marks that allow you to kind of get a little more expanded knowledge on the situation. Yeah. I think exclamation points are for, like, specific submissions where you can get a hint for a price. Yeah. Or charges you for hints. And Which has never been necessary, by the way. You'll also get an option that'll show Sonic winking, which is just him being a smartass, which more smartass than usual. Sometimes he's just being a bad person. Yeah. And it yeah. really doesn't advance the dialogue either. Like, I think you have to pick the top Sonic option every time. Well, sometimes it'll kind of auto... If you've gone through a certain dialogue path, it'll just hop you past everything else. Yeah, like, there yeah. are dialogue trees that, like, uh, converge at the end, but, like, question marks will almost never, like, continue. They'll always be like, here's more information about the last thing that was said. And then it'll loop, loop you back to the menu where you pick the question mark, but that part has been removed. Yeah, but any face, uh, whether it's the regular face or the winky face, uh, will almost always progress the story, and I think thumbs up and thumbs down also does as well. Well, thumbs up and thumbs down I only ever really saw when it was like, do you want to take a quest, or do you want me to remind you to save? Yeah. Which is another fun thing. There was an instance where it was like, regular Sonic face, and then above that was a thumbs up, and, or below that was a thumbs up, and then below that was a winky face, and I was like, we're exploring today. <laughs> I will say I also enjoy one of the icons that you can pick is three heads of Sonic's friends. It seems like it's Amy oh, Tails yeah. and then a red guy that might be Mighty. <laughs> I thought it might also be Knuckles, but the hair isn't long enough or the spikes or whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Not a lot of pixel space for it. Yeah, but it, it just looked a little weird. But basically, you can click that and Sonic will ask his friends what they think. Mm -hmm. I really like that. Like, Sonic is like, well, I can take charge or I can be like, 
All right, friends. Because I have a mishmash of cast members, each with their own, like, different motivations and desires, I just want to sort of crowdsource this decision. Yeah, it's really cool. And I mean, it always leads to the same place, but it feels... I don't know. Something about a combination of the fact that I'm touching the screen to do it, and that I'm playing as Sonic, and Sonic is characterized really well. Yeah. It makes exploring the dialogue fun. Yeah. Like, I wanted, I saved before every time I was going to talk to somebody so that I could make sure I got everything out of it possible and I could see how all of the different dialogue options played out, which is why I'm only at chapter two. <laughs> it's a good bit. Can I say something about the story a little bit? Yeah, I, I, guess. I guess before we do that, we should also clarify that this episode is largely going to be about gameplay and we'll do a second episode about the story just like we did with Sonic Battle and some other games. Yeah, so there's a bit... And I'll, I'll, I'll be brief about this. There's a bit where Amy's like, I totally have a girl uh, boyfriend, Sonic. Not a, <laughs> not a girlfriend. She's not. <laughs> My girlfriend, Dexter. My, yeah, she's like, I have a boyfriend, Sonic. His name is Dexter. You can't meet him. He lives in Canada. And Sonic's like, yeah, sure, whatever. Throughout the game, you constantly have the options to either be a dick to Amy or be like nice to her. And it's basically the only character for whom you have those options. There's also the cool in-between of razzing her about Dexter without being a complete asshole. Yeah, which probably is my favorite option. Because, like, <laughs> it's just, like, giving her a little bit of a hard time, but not enough that she feels bad. Yeah, you get to play that character that I really like, which is Amy and Sonic goofing with each other while Sonic is in prison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. And I got to a point recently in the game where, like, you talk to Amy and she's like, by the way, Sonic, I've noticed you've been really, like, nice to me recently, so, like, thanks for that. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not a dick. Do we think that that is based on different previous choices? Because when I was doing my sort of save-scumming-for-dialogue thing, I made sure that I was always nice to everybody at the end? Yeah. I think if you were constantly a dick to her, she would probably not say that. Like, because I can't imagine her being like, you've been really nice to me recently after you spend the entire game shitting on her. I don't know, man. Have you played some Sonic games? <laughs> But I'm wondering if there's, like, because I know classic Bioware is managing relationships with your other, like, party members, right? Right. But it seems like the only two characters, really, that I can do that with are Amy and a little bit Knuckles, but yeah. not even really Knuckles. I definitely think, though, that this is a spot where we should stop and say we'll dig more into that in the second yeah. episode. But that's, like, that's where I am at the time of this recording. Like, that's yeah. the vibe I'm picking up, and I really like it. I, I will say I was definitely impressed by the way they made that game feel-wise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What do you guys think about the combat in this game? The combat is interesting. Like, it's pretty straightforward if we're just talking about very basic combat. Yeah. yeah. You'll have, like, you'll just kind of give options to attack, defend, use a power move, or use an item. And if you use a power move or an item, it'll let you select again to just attack again because like those are very individual because power moves take up like i don't know what the actual skill points is that what they're called i think uh, we should clarify before going any further with this that this game uses a timeline system for its fighting where speed yeah. i was going to get to that i think you need to get to that first because a lot of the stuff you're talking about has to do with that system yeah oh yeah that's true so yeah there is like a speed factor so It'll show on the top screen the turn order, only of your characters, and because Sonic is fast, he'll usually get, like, three turns, but if you have someone slow, like, big, he'll probably only have one action, and everyone else might have two. Though it does not show the order of the enemies, so you'll kind of have to predict that through 
various encounters and such. But through all your actions, you'll be able to, you know, use an item, use a power move, and then attack or defend. And you'll kind of get, and you'll be able to plan ahead just by looking at the turn order on the top screen. Yeah. Yeah. You can do setups with like your support characters and stuff like that to make sure that you have the power, the power, whatever. What is it? What called? I PP PowerPoints? Yeah, PP. Yeah. Your PowerPoint presentation. Yeah. <laughs> what I find really interesting is that if you select basic attack, it just auto fills all of all of that character's turns. Yeah. To same be with defend. basic attack. Yeah. But like POWs and items and stuff like that only take up one movement. Also, your your speed stat determines where you are in the timeline, but how many actual moves you have is not dependent on your speed. It's just dependent on your character. Oh, so that's entirely predetermined. Yes. Okay, cool. So that's Sonic good to know. will always move three times regardless of his speed stat. And Big will always only move one time. I wonder if you could get a speed up high enough so that you could make him go twice. There's a thing you can do where you can get Sonic's speed high enough that he moves three turns in a row, and then everyone else takes their turn. But he'll only ever have three moves? Yes. Interesting. I should reiterate that, or clarify that, when you level up a character, you can choose to increase one stat by one by bonus point. I don't know if it gradually they all gradually increase or like that one it's like paper mario where that one increase is <laughs> they all do increase yeah okay uh in fact they increase in a way that like fits the character like some stats only go up by one and some stats go up by two right et right and because of that i kind of feel like only one point of specialization doesn't feel like enough when you level up sure that's why i always put it into luck that is a good call yeah i do too crits are nice yeah it's just fun to put things into luck because then when you get lucky you're like that's because i made a decision and not just because of <laughs> random numbers <laughs> i always put it into well it depends on the character but most of the characters i always put it into defense because it turns out defense and attack do not influence how much damage you deal and receive it influences the likelihood that your attacks will land or that your opponent's attacks will not land oh it does affect attack stat okay let me <laughs> Let me dial this back for a minute. Yeah. This game features things called power moves, which we've mentioned a little bit. And mm -hmm. when you do a power move, you have to do a little quick time event. And if you do it right, you deal damage. Again, all touchscreen. And I think there are three types of QTEs. Yes. You have the one where you have to click the little button in time. Like there'll be like a, a green ring that goes towards the, the blue clickable area. Like a rhythm yeah. game. Yeah. yeah, you gotta time it right. There's a similar thing where you'll see like eight red dots and you need to click it eight times before the green ring encloses. And then there's the other one, which is the much more difficult one to pull off. In fact, I don't think I even understood it when I first played it, <laughs> where you're supposed to drag it with, you're supposed yeah. to drag the little blue icon with the path that's going through. And you, you gotta keep it on there because if you let go too early, you're gonna fail it. And the more you fail little parts, the more likely the move is going to miss and you're wasting your PP. And that's especially frustrating when that little drag is the only thing that you can do to... There's the only, like, action in that QTE. Yeah. yeah. So It's also important to note that some of the support characters, it, it seems like most of them have a drag motion in their ability. And yeah. if you miss at all, if you don't get even the last one right, it will always be ineffective. Yeah, yeah. I specifically remember 
like really wanting to use cream she's an optional character with really good healing abilities but i could just not use her quick time events yeah the way i found that it worked best for me was that i started dragging before the thing had even gotten to there's sort of like a connect the dots situation where you have a starting point and an ending point and you have to keep yeah. the stylus within the range but I would start pressing down before it even got to where it was supposed to be. That way, when it got in there, I didn't. It wasn't like a timing thing, you know. It was just the dragging process. Yeah. And then I never lifted up during the whole event. I just always kept it pressed down, and that seemed to work for me when I was dragging things. Yeah. It honestly seems every time I start a battle and I do a pow move, I forget that the quick time events exist, <laughs> and I just fail it immediately. <laughs> It is, like, it, it catches you by surprise. You have to be paying attention the entire time. And sometimes that's tricky because a lot of basic attack animations are, like, fairly long. Yeah. And then there's some things that are just way shorter. And then all of a sudden you'll be in the middle of a QTE. And because, like, you weren't paying attention closely enough, yeah. you will put your stylus on the screen just a little bit too late and completely flub it. It's not like Paper Mario where you watch mario walk up to the enemy and then you do the move yeah it's just kind of like like that yeah the qte starts and then the animation plays so these moves take up pp which we've mentioned a couple of times it was basically just your magic power or whatever your your power points it's not exactly like pp from pokemon even though it sounds like that yeah it's much closer to a traditional energy or magic points yeah and that's one of the things you can that your character develops as they level up but the last thing that you get when you level up is the ability to unlock these POW moves. And mm -hmm. you essentially get a free one each level up. It goes in increments of five, and each POW move costs five, and you can spend an extra five. Well, it's like you can pay ten to upgrade a certain POW move. Yeah, you essentially have to wait a level without upgrading anything. I find that the whole increments of five thing is entirely pointless. Yeah, it could have been yeah. increments of one. I think it makes it sound like it's more powerful and important than it is. I think that's the reason why they do it. Yeah, it's similar to the thing in Yu-Gi-Oh! where even though the power for most <laughs> other card games is measured in singular points, Yu-Gi-Oh! is like, it's got 3,000 power! <laughs> 3,000 attack points! And it's like, well, okay, sure. <laughs> yeah. Big yeah. numbers, like, feels better, I guess. Yeah, the difference between one attack point and ten attack points in Yu-Gi-Oh! is absolutely pointless. As you get more characters, uh, certain characters will do, like, combination POW moves, so there's, like a, a, like, a team attack animation. And it doesn't affect the other character's turn, from what I remember, but it's still kind of cool to see what you can do. Like, I think there's one that's uh, Sonic, Tails, Knuckles, and Amy, which you'd have to have them all as your four party members. Yeah. Because you have a maximum of four. Something important to note, though, is that it does eat up each party member's PP. Oh. I did not remember that one. Yes. So, like, if Sonic has a move with Amy that says it takes up five, it actually takes up ten, but it just divides that between two people. Yeah. It also takes up both of their moves. No, it does not. That was what it Charlie doesn't? was talking about. Yeah, it does not take up both of their moves, I don't think. I thought it did from my experience, but I might have just been kind of stupid when I looked at the screen. Well, also, if you're doing them with Sonic, it feels like other people get theirs taken up because everyone else moves two and Sonic moves three. <laughs> That's extremely true, yeah. Hey, this is Charlie in the editing room. Just wanted to clarify that using a power move with two characters does use up both turns and not just the one of the character using it. That's all, bringing you back to the show. But the 
the important thing that I actually wanted to get to a while ago, but I kind of forgot, was that your attack stat does impact damage for POW moves, because POW moves deal percent damage based on your attack stat, I believe. Okay. See, I, I've been told, and I actually, the game has a help section in it where it says that attack influences likelihood of hitting, and it seems like for POW moves, it describes percent damage of, like, the amount of damage that you deal. It does not say, like, percent of damage. It says percent of ATK, as in the attack stat. Really? It could okay. be lying. I, I'm not going to pretend that it's entirely oh, yeah. possible that this game is not just lying to you. Well, because but... the actual amount of damage you deal as a stat from basic attacks is just hidden from you. It's a separate thing, yeah. Yeah. I still think it scales with your attack stat, though, that as well. I, it, it probably does. It's just not direct. It's not one-to-one. -one. It's not like if Sonic has an attack stat of 13, he will deal 13 damage minus an enemy's defense. It's, like, probably percentage-based, and then there's a variable of... What do you call it? Like a percent variation? Well, because if you do a POW move successfully, it's not going to miss. Because you did it successfully. Right. So it, it wouldn't make sense for your attack stat to just not matter, like, while you do POW moves. I mean, it kind of would. Because yeah. that's supposed to be the magic for this game. So if your attack stat didn't factor into the magic things, then that would actually kind of make sense. But yeah, it's not phrased that way. <laughs> yeah. But another thing to note is that there are items in this game that impact your attack stat, like equip items. Oh, and yeah. then there are separate items that say that you deal more damage when you equip them, and those do not impact your attack, attack stat. Yeah. Right. So it's very obvious that damage and attack are totally separate values in this game, even if one impacts the other. I should say one last thing about POW moves, which is that they generally will cost about half of the PP that you have access to. Yeah. You have a very small amount of PP in this game. Yeah. Also, we've kind of alluded to this. Enemies can use their own POW moves, which involve QTEs. Usually not as egregious, but still, like, if you if you can do it perfectly, you will not get damaged. And I guess as Steven was saying, is that if you have a high enough defense stat, you, there's a little bit room for some margin of error. Yeah. There are some moves that even if you get it perfect, you'll take some damage, but it'll be, like, basically nothing compared to what you would have taken. Yeah, and also, the better you do it, the QTE, the more likely the regular miss chance will just kick in anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I actually really enjoyed this system because I felt like it made you pay attention during a fight, which you don't yeah, normally right. do in most games. <laughs> yeah. It also just helped drive home sort of the the fact that the stylus is useful and I think it's cool because these QTEs feel different than like a normal game's QTE it felt like I was playing a rhythm game in a fun way yeah I like uh so so I'm about halfway through the game right now I like that the QTEs that enemies throw at you get more complex over time or or they get more difficult to like avoid and the way that happens is like for the the rhythm ones they give you generally they give you less time or they change up the timing in a way that is like you got to be careful about yeah or even the location of the dots because they yeah. start out really close <laughs> they'll spread them out so that you're like ah hold up uh, and like with the tap very often i don't think i've ever failed in my entire life so as far as i'm aware that it hasn't gotten any harder <laughs> and then the slides are just like that QTE just sucks, so that's always hard. <laughs> I actually really like it because you usually have to do it for the best abilities, so yeah. it feels like they're challenging. Like, Tails' Metabot ability is oh, a yeah. thing that it targets a party member, and it will immediately heal them a little bit and then give them some PP. 
And then it does that for like the next three turns as well. So it's super good. It's top tier. Like you can't lose if Tails is in your party. It's probably the hardest QTE to do in the entire game in my experience. Yes, I agree. And also like that QTE is stressful to do, but in exactly the right amount of way. Like I have five PP left as Tails. So I'm going to use this Medibot on Tails to give him more PP so that he can then heal other people next turn. So the entire combat is riding on my ability to do this right now. And it's really hard, and I have to succeed. Yeah. And, like, that feels exciting. Who was your uh, favorite character to play with? Well, so, I played this game before we did this for the podcast. Yeah. And I was very fond of using Omega, because he just had a lot of very powerful moves that went through some tough enemies. And he has some pretty good combination attacks with Shadow and Rouge. So I'm inclined to say him. And he's also, like, a temporary party. Or not temporary. An optional, just like Cream. Yeah. yeah. And honestly, both of them are basically, like, the black and white mage. Because they just do really good POW moves, basically. Yeah. All right. Tails, in comparison, seems more like the red mage, if anything. Yeah, yeah. I think that's probably right. I'm a big fan of Shadow. Because, number one, his basic attack animation is rad. Uh, he That's does that shadow in general. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know that bit in, like, the Shadow the Hedgehog pre-title menu cutscene where, like, he teleports behind somebody and he's facing away from them in the air and then he spins midair to do a back kick on them? <laughs> That's his basic attack, which is really good. And then also he is an extremely cool pow move that works with sonic and the two of them do like a sort of tornado kind of thing yeah which which is like a long pow move and the animation is just really enjoyable so it's it's a good bit i think that my favorite character out of the the ones i've seen because i'm not as far in the game yeah but i certainly like playing as rouge because she has a stealing ability which is always my favorite thing (laughs) i just want to keep stealing things in every fight yeah but she also, her stealing ability only costs four, and she starts with eight PP. Or at least maybe after the first time she levels up, because she'll level up three times right when you get her. Yeah. So I guess she probably doesn't at level one. But she can do it twice in a row. So you can just steal a bunch of things, and then if you're in a fight where you're not too worried, you can use Tails' Metabot on her, and then just keep stealing things. <laughs> and it doesn't seem like there's a limit to the items you can steal. Really? I never got to it. I, I don't think I stole more than three times in a round, but... Every RPG I've ever played has, every enemy has a maximum of one item to steal. Yeah, you can just keep jacking things from robots. And it's also great, because the robots are running around with candy in their pockets. <laughs> That's really good. So, I think we're about ready to take the break, but when we get back, we're going to talk about the items in this game and some of the character customization that you can do with equipment. All right. So at the end of every battle, pretty much every battle, you get, in addition to experience points, you also get a couple of consumable items. I I do think it actually is every battle. There's ways to get more, like you can steal items and stuff like that. But I think the way the game is set up with having the amount of HP that you have and having the amount of PP that you have, the game really wants you to use those items a lot. Because... Yeah. Like, you're going to run out of PP in two moves, like, flat. And if you're Sonic, your first move might cost 5 PP out of the 8 you have. So, immediately you don't have enough anymore. So, 
the game has built in like, hey, use our consumables, you know, uh, especially because you have multiple moves per turn. And I think I, that's really interesting. I never use items anyway. Yeah, I was going to say that I definitely agree with you, but I found myself using every method possible to abuse the item system so that I never ran out. Yeah. The only item that I have used constantly is the revival ring because I keep not healing and then dying. Wow. <laughs> okay. Conversely, I use heal seeds occasionally, but I also just frequently will take my entire team back to the base or whatever and just heal them all <laughs> after most fights. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's uh, an important part that... I think they're called... Are they called strongholds or bases? Strongholds is the word, but I forgot because it's super not what they are. Well, right, but it's a place that you can safely save and yeah. heal up and reconfigure your party. Yeah, and, like, talk to everybody. Tails Shack is not a... I would not call it a stronghold. <laughs> yeah. I will say there is a bit at one point of the game where your party splits up into two groups, and only one of those groups can have Tails in it, which means the other group is going to have to use items. There's no way around it anymore. Wait, hold on a second. You... Could you get cream at that point, though? Uh, I do not know because I do not have cream. So, you know, I, I'm so used to being like, oh, well, I've got Tails, so he's going to heal everybody. He's going to be the guy that gives them all their PP and their HP. Uh, and now I'm at the point in the game where Tails is off doing something else, and now I have to actually learn how to play the game. Yeah, it's like when you play a Final Fantasy game and you really like the protagonist so you dump all of the EXP and stuff into that character and you give them all the good things and then the party splits up and you're like well alright well time to walk around in circles for a while <laughs> yeah so that's that's where I am and I think I do like it like I like that the game is like no you actually you can't just have one strategy that you use for the entire game you need at least two that said I'm halfway through the game like it should have told me that I needed more than one strategy a little sooner. No, I think it's good to let you sit in the bed that you've made. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the game the game's forgiving enough. Like, you can survive at least a couple of combat rounds, like, without just completely party wiping without yeah, a healer, you know? Especially if you're good at the quick time events. Yeah. So it's, it's not like I'm screwed, you know? I do also like this... There's this component that the first time I ever found it was in the original Final Fantasy... Where the game is so unforgiving when you go for more than one fight that you find yourself in this little loop where you try to grab some items and you try to heal up a little bit and you just beat one fight. And then you go back to town and you try to consolidate your resources in such a way that that fight wasn't a waste of money. <laughs> and then you do that until you're good enough to get through like two or three fights and then you can really power grind for a little bit and then go to your dungeon. Mm -hmm. And I really like that sort of resource management and the demand for a strategy that keeps you from just dying. Yeah. And this game, honestly, I felt like after the first area, every combat interaction was actually really challenging strategy-wise. You will always lose at least half of your health if you aren't abusing the system, basically. Yeah. And I, and I do think, like, that's extremely intentional of, like, yeah, you have so many moves per turn, but some of some of those moves will have to be heal people that and also you will have to use the resources available to you whether that is like setting up your characters with good items or healing them with items or going back to the stronghold like you can't just keep fighting like you can in something yeah. like pokemon yeah that's my other biggest touchstone is like the way i compared 
RPGs is like, is it closer to Final Fantasy or Pokemon? And in Pokemon, you're more or less allowed <laughs> to just kind of walk back and forth without worrying about anything. I, I would say in Pokemon, you will have to go to the Poke Center eventually. But that but... is only based on running out of MP, which takes more than 10 fights. So that's just a formality, really. Yeah. Well, and, and it doesn't cost any resources, unlike in Final Fantasy, yeah. where you have to actually, like, you have to build a system of keeping yourself going. Right, you have to pay to use an inn. It's almost like a like a survival game at that point until you get good enough to walk around without it being dangerous. It's sort of it's a little bit like a like a um, economy sim where instead of goods it's murdering monsters. Yeah. And I think that this game captures that sort of original Final Fantasy vibe <laughs> where when you go outside it's just dangerous. Like if you're just walking into dudes, it's gonna be a problem. Yeah. <laughs> Did you guys enjoy the difficulty that came from, like, most of the boss interactions and any of the bigger late-game enemies? There was only one boss fight that I hated, and aside from that, I really think the combat is is the, is the right amount of challenging at all times. And the boss fight that I hated was three enemies that, like, if you knock any one of them out, they'll regenerate at the end of the turn. Always a good trope. So they start at 200 HP, and they regenerate up to 50 HP. And these are enemies that you will either do 20 damage against or 1 damage against. And, like, I couldn't figure out when it was which. So I couldn't effectively plan to knock them all three out at the same time. Because, like, the numbers would go exactly wrong enough that I will completely screw it up. Yeah. And that's and that's very fresh, especially because so if you knock out an enemy with a basic like and you've got basic attacks queued, then the basic attacks will just retarget to a random enemy. But if you have a pow move queued, that move just won't happen. So you'll just skip that move. And so since pow moves were my principal damage dealers against these guys, I would be like, okay, so we'll use this pow move and then this pow move and then this pow move. And then the first power move would do more damage than I expected. And then the other two just wouldn't happen, period. So I had to, like, restart again the boss fight. Yeah. I kind of foresaw something like that happening. Not exactly that scenario, but a situation in which I would want to kill a lot of things at once. So yeah. whenever I saw that someone had an all-enemy attack move, I just went and got it. <laughs> yeah. I think Sonic's all-enemy attack move is, like, not very good, though. It got me through some fights. For me, so and I and I did test it against these specific bosses. It did 17 damage against all of them. Yeah, which is fine. But then the problem is you have to get them within a 17 HP range, and if you get them under that, then it's not going to do it. And if you get them over that, then it they'll be reset back to 50. How much blocking did you do? Uh, I have never blocked once. Okay, that highlights the difference <laughs> in our strategies. <laughs> I did it once. <laughs> I I blocked half the time. Are you aware that that when you block, you regain your PP? I am. N I was not aware of that. Me neither. <laughs> okay, cool. So well, it's very clear that we were using different <laughs> strategies in that case. I tend to be very aggressive when I play RPGs. I almost never become defensive. That's a game changer. Like honestly, I'm. I was with you guys, but at a certain point in my life. I realize that sometimes I have to not just slam my face into the wall as hard as possible. Well, I learned that in Pokemon, but... Wait, how did you learn that in Pokemon? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I got older. Pokemon is the optimal face-slamming game. Yeah. Yeah, but I 
would only use attack moves, no status moves. Yeah, exactly. You don't need to. The game never demands you. This game kind of demands you to do that. Well, I don't have any more comment to that. Also, if you learned it later, you would have been playing the later Pokemons, which make it even more efficient to grind. Hmm. hmm. I think you just decided to stop slamming your face into the wall in Pokemon because it got boring. You're like, what if I use Dragon Dance for a couple turns and then just swept the entire team afterwards? That's, that's, that's when your, you truly that's become the new strategy. a Pokemon master. <laughs> <laughs> What did you think of this game's combat, Charlie? Uh, besides the QTEs, the combat's fine. We're talking about items, right? Well, I'm just—I just mean the balancing between the combat and the item, like the the usage of all your resources, I guess. Eh, it's fine. I don't really have any strong opinions on it. Like you weren't offended by the difficulty, but you also didn't think that it was particularly engaging. Right. That makes sense. It's not the most complex system I've ever seen. Yeah, I think nothing can top Boktai Two, right? As a video game, like as, as a video game, it. yeah. But like it's it's system of no, you just have to use items. You don't get to hoard, you know. But yeah, I, I think this game would really like it if you used your items. But I I just am too much of a hoarder to do it. Yeah, but you also don't block. So I imagine that a lot of your experience with this game was grinding at a certain point. I've actually like avoided most enemies. Like, I feel like I'm roughly on level, but I, I don't grind at all in this game. That's weird. Yeah. And and part of it is Tails has always been on my team until recently. So I've I, never had yeah. to block or use items. I guess, yeah, I guess now is the spot where you'll have to learn. I upgraded his Medibot to max. And I was like, yeah, we're good. I upgraded Sonic's hit all three enemies to max very quickly. <laughs> I was like, I can just take care of anything that I need to. Let's do it. It all dies right away, and if it's too big, then I just hit them with Amy, and then I'm done. <laughs> and Rouge and Tails are there to keep the engine going. Maybe that's what I'll do next. But I think the next step in our discussion is the equipable items, which are pretty similar to most games. It's just they give you little stat buffs, and some of them have unique effects, but for the most part, you'll see stuff in item shops that are like, oh, get plus two luck, or oh, get plus two attack, you know? Yeah. It's not entirely clear what you can equip and what will replace previous things like generally like oh gloves will replace gloves right but there's not a clear cut like this is the category of equipment very specifically next to the equipment is an icon that shows either gloves shoes or an accessory each character can only equip one of each hold on a second am i actually blind am i a did i that's an icon that i just didn't see period yeah go ahead and check if you want <laughs> all right i'm i'm Let's freaking do this. <laughs> I do think that there are components it's of it. right there. That are a little bit obfuscated. <laughs> it's extremely apparent immediately to anyone who's not <laughs> Isaiah 20 minutes ago. There are some other weirder conditions to the items <laughs> equip system. Like, for example, some gloves say that they can't be equipped by robots. And some shoes will be like, these three character heads can equip these shoes. And then some things will just say everybody. And that feels a little weird at first, but I think you get used to it after shopping a little bit. There are some things that are, like, not usable by robots. Yeah. And I'm like, ah, so there will be robots on our team, huh? <laughs> We're at one stage of gameplay development. There were robots available. <laughs> I also enjoy that the equipment, each item that you can equip comes with a little picture of the item. And I think all the consumables have a unique image as well, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So even though the art assets aren't super beautiful, it's cool that they're there. Like, they tried. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I definitely like the way that 
the lucky gloves look compared to the work gloves compared to the boxing gloves, the design is neat. It's not just a bunch of pallet swaps. Most of the equipment you get in the game, you need to go specifically to a store to acquire. Yeah, you'll find like one or two things in a chest per world map location that you explore, but for the most part, you're just buying it from the store. And that honestly is probably the bulk of what you're spending your rings on. Yeah. Oh, that's actually something we should note real quick as we're getting into the chow system as well. Oh, yeah. In the overworld, you can run around and just pick up rings like in a Sonic game. And each overworld map has a set number of rings that will appear on the overworld. So they don't reappear. You pick them up once. And then you also can get some rings by selling your items. I don't think you ever get rings from a fight, do you? No. Oh, but you do when the enemy runs away. That's right. Oh, that's right. Yeah. There's a little mini game where if an enemy is a lower level than you, I don't even know if level is a specific thing, but if an enemy is weaker than you, they will sometimes run away and you'll have to chase after them. And you do this little running mini game where you tap each of your characters to jump them over obstacles. And then you can also collect rings during this if you jump at the right time. Yeah. And I feel like if your objective is to get all of the best equipment and stuff, you're you're going to have to sell items that you have in order to afford them. Yeah. To me, items felt like a means to an end, which was producing rings. Yeah. It's a very interesting system that I'm not used to at all, which is there's not a finite number of rings. Like, it feels like there is, but then you can just trade your consumables for rings. I feel like Mario and Luigi, those series of games, starting with Superstar Saga, had a similar system. No, at the end of fights, you would get uh, coins. Right, but you wouldn't get as many, and coins were also finite on the overworld. Like, you could find a bunch of coins in places. So, it felt like spending your money was more important, but it didn't feel, like, game-breaking if you accidentally spent it on something dumb. Yeah. Which I think is is a really good system, because it makes the money feel good to spend and to get. (laughs) Yeah. Also, your stash stat decreases the price of items. I think you're correct on that. (laughs) Where was I? (laughs) Oh, yeah. So you can run around the overworld (laughs) to collect rings, and there's a finite amount, so it feels fun to get all the rings. That kind of tells you that you've explored the whole area. Oh, yeah. And you can also find chow, and there's a set number of... Well, you can find chow eggs, and there's a set number of chow eggs on each map. It's usually between 8 and 11. And when you grab a chow egg, nothing immediately happens. But after a certain amount of time, you'll hear the sound of someone making an omelet. And that means that a chow has been born. It, I feel like it's supposed to be the sound of an egg hatching. But to me, it sounds like a monster growling. Yeah, it does. It sounds so bit crunched. And it sounds like, to me, I heard like a gross sizzle, like a weird sizzle <laughs> sound. I definitely heard like, Rawr! like it's, it's like a. <laughs> It sounds like a creature, not an egg. No matter what, it does not sound like an egg hatching. Yeah. <laughs> and then when you hear that sound, you can open the menu and you'll get a random chow out of a selection of, I believe, 40 is the total. Yeah. And they have three different rarities. There's common, un... Oh my god, that's Magic the Gathering. No. There's common, rare, and unique. About to say uncommon. <laughs> <laughs> not quite the same. And the common ones do stuff like, oh, you'll start the round with a barrier that will prevent damage based on an element, or, oh, you'll get one additional point in a stat. And then the rare ones do more interesting things, like you'll recover PP for your entire party at the beginning of each combat round, or you'll be able to get access to an extra item every fight. 
it just doubles the item output for the game. So I got that one pretty early on and put it on right away. <laughs> so that's why my, why my relationship with items in this game might be a little bit different than yours. Yeah. I had access to dozens upon dozens of every item, and I was just selling them all and using them very freely. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I was getting the normal amount of items. <laughs> Probably even less because I was skipping, like, half of the combat encounters. Right. But it's cool because Chow can do sort of unique things, or if you're getting access to the common ones earlier on, you can just use them as a supplement to equipment, and it's kind of neat that way. And yeah. you replace them as you're going on, and they're really fun to get because, like, there's a finite amount of them, and the egg hatching process is kind of neat because you get to pull a random one each time. The word gotcha came out a couple of times <laughs> yeah. in, in discussing them. Yeah. There is a system where you can level them up by trading them with other people. And by other people, I mean other players who also have a copy of Sonic Chronicles of Dark Brotherhood for the Nintendo DS. Yeah. And and want to interact with other human beings. You can get duplicates, which encourages you to trade because you can't... Like, you can equip duplicates on multiple people, but most of the time you're not going to want to. Yeah, it's usually pointless. Yeah. So you'll you'll trade those off for somebody who doesn't have that particular duplicate. And I don't even know how the leveling up system works. Does it just, when you go to someone else, it automatically levels up? I believe the way the system works is if you trade the Chow with someone else, they get a level 2 version of your level 1 Chow. And if they trade it with, with a third person, that person gets a level 3 version of that Chow. A terrible system. Yes. So you need three people total to get the highest level for all the Chow. I would be fine if that were an alternative method, but it's the only way. Yeah, that would it sucks. But the good news is most of those bonuses like are good enough without being leveled up or are minimal enough that you're not going to equip them anyway. Yeah, it's I'm curious what happens if you level up the guy that gives you items at the end of like extra items at the end of the fight. Do you get 3 items per fight if you leveled up? Probably, yeah. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> or maybe like an increased chance at a at a third item or something like that. Yeah, but what I like about this is that you'll get different ones early on in your run, and they'll impact the way you design characters sometimes. Yeah. And I think that's really cool. It reminds me of Sonic Battle, where the stuff you get at the beginning informs decisions you make early on, and it'll change your strategy if you go back to play this game again at some point. Yeah. And even if not, <laughs> it... <laughs> what was I laugh for? Just the prospect of... Going back to my old save file and trying to get back to it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I like the Chow system a lot. I think it's a little bit superficial. What's the best word? Like, it's not super complex. It's it's a little uh, surf it's, surface It's a level. little surface level, yeah. Yeah. It's definitely not what I want out of a Chow garden, I'll say. Oh, yeah. I think my biggest problem with it is really just that I don't feel like I'm going to be able to get a lot of the chow that I like would like because it is random chance. Yeah, I did a lot of save scumming to get good ones. Yeah, and I, I've done no save scumming and I'm like, well, you can't collect more chow than there are in the game, so if I get nothing but dupes, I just don't get the coolest chow. I would hope that there is some kind of system to make it less likely that you get a copy, but I have no idea. I don't know. I've, I've gotten, I would say probably at least 20% of the chow I've collected have been dupes. Well, yeah, but that's, like, you're halfway through the game, right? Yeah. So you probably have collected more than half of the eggs in the game. Yeah. 
And I think that's true. There are more eggs in the game than there are Chow to collect, I believe, by a margin of 13. Yeah. So if you got 20% dupes, I think you would still have everything, right? That's fair. That You know, that might math out. But also, the unique Chow, which is the highest rarity, are probably less likely... You know, I don't know how it works. I didn't make the algorithm. I'll, I'll beat the game and see if I just happen to have every single Chow. That would be ideal. That would I, be ideal. I think that's all the stuff you can equip, though. So Yeah. I'll say that I think that combined with the regular equipment in this game and the slightly unique aspect of the Chow, it's pretty fun to build your characters. The game also does a good job of letting you figure out what you want characters to do and not just giving you all the options right away. Yeah. Like, having Tails with Metabot versus having Tails with something else will drastically change the way your fights progress. Yeah. And the fact that, like, Tails levels up and then you're just like, oh, well, which which pal move do I want to unlock? I can see what almost all of them are. The only ones I can't see are, like, moves that require other party members that I haven't met yet. So, like, I get to decide what my strategy is short-term right now. Yeah. Or I can think long-term and be like, well, I'm going to spend my next five level-ups just getting more and more Medibot abilities. Yeah, I think they did a really good job of making the characters feel like their classes are valuable and separate. Yeah. Each person seems like they can do a cool, unique thing. And it also seems like they all have options that are tailored to slightly different playstyles. Mm -hmm. So, like, if you want to play more aggressive, it seems like pretty much everybody has a move that deals more damage than the rest of them. Yeah. So you can just go and get that and have it. I think that it's a really good game. I think it's yeah. I think it's a lot of great systems that are just presented horribly. Oh, yeah, the presentation, like we've said, the sound design and the visuals are very bad. And some of the game feels not perfect. But I do think it's a lot better than I'd anticipated. Yeah, it, it really is. It's a game that for the first, like, 20 minutes of playing, you're like, is this a real video game? And then after that, you're like, oh, yes, it is. Can we all agree that it's far better than any of the Wii experiences we've had so far? Oh, man. On the show. I mean, not in real life. Yeah. Yeah. I think so, yeah. Wait. Our Wii experiences have been uh, Sonic and the Secret Rings, uh, Sonic Rider Zero Gravity, and... Sega Superstar tennis. The Olympic Games. And the Do Olympic Games. But Zero Gravity. Is not great with motion controls. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I meant, more or less. Well, okay. Yeah, I, I give it a thumbs up. <laughs> wait, wait, did we... Agree? I mean, I probably, I probably like it more than uh, Sonic Rush Adventure. I think that Sonic Rush Adventure is the sequel to the greatest Sonic game of all time, and it does not disappoint. I am going to abstain from that conversation. You can't. This is a this is an opinion podcast. <laughs> I do think Sonic Rush Adventure is probably better than this, but they're also like not the same genre, like even a little bit. Yeah. Sure. And so it's close enough that it's hard to call it. I think the real question is whether or not Sonic Battle is better than this game because it's definitely the closest thing to this despite oh, yeah. being completely different gameplay-wise. <laughs> yeah. They're both character-focused visual novels that let you look into the sort of lives of Sonic characters that are not Sonic. So I think mechanically, I like Sonic Battle more. Narratively, I think the jury's still out. That I would agree with. I definitely think that mechanically Sonic Battle is a far superior game. I think it's super crisp in its design, and there are some lumpy parts, but they involve grinding in a fighting game, and that's always weird. Well, I like the, I mean, I like the gotcha component in Sonic Battle a lot more. Yeah, I mean, I think that the moves are more interesting than the, the, the chow that you get. 
Yeah. Especially since we should mention that the Chow, you see them visually, but they're all just palette swaps of each other for the most part. It seems like there's about six or seven different Chow images, and then they each have different sets of colors. And they're not, like, ugly colors or anything. It's still fun to see them, but it's not as impressive as it could be. Yeah. I mean, it's it's literally not as impressive as it is in Sonic Adventure 2. Like, when you look at all of the, like, fully aged, evolved Chow. Yeah. And the different ways they can look. But that system is just totally different than the way Chow work in this game, so I wouldn't expect yeah. it to be like that. Oh, yeah. I will say, though, that I think the fact that in Sonic Battle, every single item that you get is essentially a few new frames of animation, visually. Yeah. It. I think it's presented better in that way. But I do think that the exploring of the environment in Sonic Battle is much worse than in this game. Yeah. Like, it's not fun to walk around in Sonic Battle. All right, so thumbs up, thumbs down... Sonic Chronicles The Dark Brotherhood for the Nintendo DS uh, gameplay. Thumbs up. Yeah, thumbs up. Yeah, thumbs up. It's rough around the edges, but it's not It's not like sandpaper or anything, yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's definitely a game you have to like give a second chance to. You gotta acclimate. Yeah. I don't think that it was necessarily a mistake to make the game all on the stylus, though. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It really is. You gotta acclimate. And then once you do, like you're having a good time. Yeah. I think also once I unlocked fast travel, I was much more forgiving on the scrolling around the map with the stylus thing. Yeah. Because I'd say that's the lumpiest part is the fact that I think Charlie mentioned it a little bit earlier, but you have to hold the direction that you like. You kind of point to the spot where you want the character to go, and then it they just run that way. And if you're not holding it all the way at the edge of the screen, they don't move very fast. That's one thing that bugs me. Like in indoors where there's I always like drag them. You mean you click on them? Like, and then I move them around. That's weird. I always pointed to the far edge of the screen because I got really impatient. I was I was pointed as well. Hmm. When you're when you're indoors and you use the pointing method, the distance between where you're pointing and where the character is isn't large enough, so they move more slowly, and that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> but aside from that, like it's a it's good. Yeah. So next time we'll be discussing the story in this game, which includes large overarching plot events but also some of the nitty-gritty of our favorite character interactions yeah so without further ado you can send your emails to the gmail account no spin zone at gmail.com and you can follow us on twitter at no spin zone uh, you can also follow me on twitter at isaiah games that's i-s-i-a-h games you can follow me at Draws Charlie, where I draw stuff, and I'm actually being a bit more active now. So have fun with that. Hooray! Are you guys excited to talk about the story? I I think I am. A little. Yeah. I'm excited to hear more about Amy's boyfriend Dexter. <laughs> Amy's boyfriend Dexter was probably the thing that kept me going the most for the first <laughs> like half hour of this game. I was like, I got to see what the hell Amy is talking about. This is leading to something. I mean, it was obvious that she didn't actually have a boyfriend named Dexter because no character in Sonic the Hedgehog will ever be named Dexter. Yeah, but, like, what if? What if, like, it's not a bit and she's serious and it's just it's just that she's weird about it? Is he Dexter the human? Dexter the the laboratory? No, hold on a second. What if it was a Labrador? Shut up. <laughs> what if it was a serial killer? That's, you know what? That's honestly <laughs> equally possible. Honestly, probably more likely. Yeah. Knowing how Sonic goes sometimes. All right. We'll see you later. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye.